Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. That's a very sobering reading of Scripture that we've had this morning. Chapter 11 of, of uh, 2 Samuel tells us about uh, the darkest moment of David's life where after being blessed by the Lord in so many incredible ways and reaching the pinnacle of success after leading the nation to, to peace, prosperity and power, David falls into a deep and dark and despicable and disgusting sin. And we all know the story. David succumbed to that giant, which last week we knew was called lust, and that lived within his heart. He committed adultery with a married woman. He got her pregnant. And then in an effort to, to cover up this sin, David has her husband put to death. And chapter 11 closes with the sin of David hanging like a dark cloud over the, over the king and over the nation. Now we know that God doesn't punish David immediately for his sin, but that doesn't mean that, David, that David's sin has been ignored by God. God planned to reach out to David and to reclaim his life and to restore him to fellowship with God. And our text today speaks about that plan. And I want to look at the, the steps that God takes to restore David and to deal with that issue of sin in his life. And what we learn here this morning is going to help us when we're forced to deal with sin in our own lives and sin in someone else's life. David found himself in a place that he never thought he would occupy. There had been a time when, when David walked with God and he sang the praises of the Lord and the Lord God blessed David's life in a marvelous fashion. And now David looks back over the remnants of broken vows. He sees the shattered dreams, the ruined lives, the wrecked futures lying about him. He sinned. He knows it. And in the midst of this tragedy, God speaks to David. God comes to him and says, you, you are the man. And that's the title for today's message too. You are the man. I want to consider the steps that the Lord took to make matters right. So let's have a look at that closely this morning. My first point this morning is, is the chastisement of David's sin. Because between chapter 11, verse 27, and chapter 12, verse 1, there's a gap. There's a gap of about 12 months. And during that time, no mention is made of David's sin by David, by God, or anyone else for that matter. But that doesn't mean that these were 12 months of absolute bliss for David and a nice peaceful time. He was a troubled king. And I'd like to pull out a couple of thoughts from this space between the two chapters. I want to preach from something that's not there. Because sometimes what's not said speaks as loud as the things that actually are said in the Scriptures. First of all, let's notice it was a time of silence. For nearly a year, David kept that sin hidden within his heart. There's no record of him telling anyone about it. He knew what he'd done. Bathsheba knew what he'd done that adultery you can imagine how their relationship must have suffered from this every time David looks into his, her eyes what does he see would there be hurt betrayal resentment what is it that's reflected back at him every time their eyes meet there's guilt that flashes forth between them there's no joy there's no peace there's no anticipation of the birth of a wonderful little baby there's only pain and there's only guilt. And how do I know that? Well, Psalm 51. Let's have a look at that just briefly for a second. Psalm 51, verse 3. 
David says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He might have stolen another man's wife and had him killed. But his transgression was always before him. The joy of this relationship couldn't have been there. Joab know, knows what happened. He's the one that organized the, the killing. Some of the servants would have known what happened. Worst of all, David knew and he knew that God knew about his sin. Brothers and sisters, this is not just a story about David. This is a story about us. For all of us who try to hide our sins in silence, the Bible's very clear about this matter. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. Proverbs 28, verse 13. When you conceal your sin, you do not prosper. There's some guilt in your heart, and it's going to bring you down. So it was a time of silence, and it was also a time of incredible sorrow, because it seems that this episode in David's life prompted him to write two different psalms. One of these is Psalm 32, and the other is Psalm 51. And these psalms are apparently written after David has confessed his sin and has been forgiven by God and restored to fellowship with God. But those psalms, they tell us that the months following David's sin with Bathsheba, they were not a carefree time of love and happiness and peace between these two. No, they were days of suffering for David. Look at what he says in Psalm 32. Let me just read the, the verses for you. Psalm, psalm 32. Back there again. Here we go. Verses 3 to 5, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. But do you hear what he's saying there? You know, God's hand is heavy on him. He knows that God knows. He can't get away with this. He cannot hide it any longer. It's deep in his heart and it's broken his relationship with God. And then he goes on in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3. He says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He just cannot escape from this. And you know, this... This psalmist of Israel, you know, the sweet dew of heaven is, is drought now. It's dried up in his heart. He can't sing anymore like he used to. And then in Psalm 51 verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. His joy was gone. Joyless living sucks big time. You've been there? I've been there in joyless places in life. And you go like, what's the point of this all? Why does the earth keep on spinning? Why can't it stop now? I've had enough. The joy is gone. It happens to each one of us. And then David cries out and he, and he says, Create in me a pure heart. He's suffering under the chastisement of God and he knows it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. David's being disciplined through the guilt that he's feeling. The guilt must have been unbearable for him. But this is not just David. I'm talking about us again. Because this is the way it is for every one of us when we don't deal with our sins according to God's word. When we sin against the Lord, we can be sure that he's going to chastise us in some way. We are going to feel this in our spirits. It might not come immediately, but it will come. That's the promise of God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says, Those whom I love rebuke and discipline. Hebrews chapter uh, three says the chapter twelve rather says the same thing. There's a constant loss of, of joy and peace, and there's a sense of God's displeasure. 
That's what happens when we walk away from the Lord, when we sin against Him. And then we refuse to deal with that sin in our lives. If we would do things God's way, 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a gorgeous passage of Scripture that is for those of us when we sin against God. It would save us so much sorrow and so much heartache. How many of you got a car? There's a check engine light that comes on in your car. Right? This thing that flashes. Well, what do you do? You can take a hammer and bash the light out. <laughs> but after some time, your car will stop. The guilt that we have in our hearts is the check engine light between us and God. You know, you've got to pay attention to it. Do something about it. It's when the guilt comes, that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, saying, I want you to do something. You've got to confess something. Let Talk to me now. I know anyway. Now tell me what, what you know that I know. Let's deal with it. That's the check engine light. The problem is, though, you know, we so often just ignore the check engine light when we could have just taken the problem to Jesus. It could have been dealt with like that. Well, let's move on. Let's have the confrontation now of David's sin. We might wonder why the Lord took so long to deal with David's sin. And I think one answer might have been the fact that David was probably not yet ready to be confronted with the sin he'd committed. And we can often be like that too. We do something, we know it's wrong, but we're not yet ready to deal with it. And in fact, if someone points his finger at us, we're just going to rebel against that person too. We're just going to you know, be a stick in the mud and just get really messy about the whole deal. Well, God uses similar tactics in our lives that he, that he used in, in David's life. We might feel that we're getting away with it for a little while. But God's working behind the, behind the scenes. When the time is right, he will confront us and he'll call us back to himself. And by the way, you cannot get away with sin. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And that's true. In the Old Testament, Numbers 20, uh, 32 verse 23 says, You may be sure that your sin will find you out. It'll dob on you. It does that. It'll come out some way or another. This is a shocking confrontation, what's going on here, because context is, that, is that this story that the prophet Nathan tells. God sends Nathan the prophet, who was a man that David respected. He sends Nathan to David to confront David about his sin. And Nathan comes out with a wonderful little story about a rich man and who had many sheep. And he takes the only little lamb belonging to his poor neighbor to feed a bloke who's just passing through. And Nathan emphasizes the fact that the poor man's lamb was precious to him. It represented all that he had in the world. This is his joy. And when David hears that story, he's livid. He demands the rich man restore the poor man fourfold. He orders the rich man to be executed. Isn't it amazing? The man who excuses sin in his own life can be so harsh and so critical with the people round about him. That must speak to many people in churches, I'm sure. We can be so critical when dealing with the lives of other people and their sin. But remember when you point at someone, all these other fingers are pointing back at you. Eh? Then David hears those words he never thought he would hear. Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. It's you, David. 
You took the only thing Uriah had in his life, and then you took his life as well. You had it all, but you wanted more. You are the man. David's now exposed. He's been found out that sin that had been so carefully hidden away is exposed for all to see. This traveller named Lust came to the palace one evening and David fed that stranger called Lust, a beautiful woman called Bathsheba, and now the price was there to be paid. Never think for a minute, brothers and sisters, that we can successfully get away with sin. God knows exactly where each one of our sins is buried and hidden where we think. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. You and I might be good at covering up from one another. We cannot hide from God. And at just the right time, God will place his finger on that sore spot and he will press. He knows exactly what to do. He'll confront the hidden sin. He'll expose it for what it is. And it's going to be a shocking day in the life of the guilty party. That's you and me, by the way. And that's why it's so important for us to keep short accounts with God. I've said it for years and I'll keep on saying it until I've got no more breath. Keep a short account with God. For a long time, I, I, was, I meditated upon this passage and I'm trying to see what's going on here. And, and, and do I see Nathan pointing his finger like, you know, like a laser at David's nose saying, You are the man. But the more I meditate upon it, the more I'm inclined to think that what was really happening was David was saying these words with tears pouring down his cheeks. You are the man. He could hardly say the words. You, David, are the man. Can you imagine the pain in his heart? His heart was broken because he has to confront his friend, King David. By the way, the day may come, brothers and sisters, when you have to confront sin in someone's life. Not your own, someone else's. I've had to do that in the course of my ministry and that's not a pleasant task. And if that day comes, we need to do it not in anger and not in self-righteousness. We do it with a spirit of love and we do it with a broken heart, realizing that if it weren't for the grace of God, it could be us that's being confronted. Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 says, If someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. You hear what the scripture is saying? Be gentle, because it could be you. Be gentle. There's an incredible shame in this confrontation too, because now David is reminded of all that the Lord has done for him. God has, has chosen him, saved him, blessed him, elevated him to the throne of Israel. God has given him more than he ever could have imagined. And if he had wanted, David could have had more from God. And this is how David repays God for his grace and his kindness. And there's an incredible stinging rebuke that comes to David. Surely his heart must have melted that moment. Think of this, the blessings of God and the grace of God that we have been given. Have you been blessed by God? Are you born again? Do you have a hope? Are you going to heaven? You're blessed. Those blessings ought to shield us against evil. Well, we need to be thinking constantly and reminding each other constantly, what have God done for us? And then we should consider how we treat the Lord. The Lord deserves far better than he receives from his children. This confrontation, by the way, caused incredible sorrow. And that's my next point, the sorrow of the confrontation. 
You can almost hear the sadness in the voice of Nathan as he asks that pitiful question, Why? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? He's talking to the man after God's own heart. He can't believe it. Why did you do this, David? You have so much power. You have so much blessing. You've got everything. Why? I would imagine that, that our sins hurt God just as deeply as David's sins hurt God. Look at all that God's done for us. He loved us. He gave his son to die for us. He saved us when we should have been thrown into hell. He's been good to us. He's met our needs. He's lifted our burdens. He's blessed us in 10,000 little ways. We owe him nothing. We act like we owe him nothing, though. When sin comes our way, we forget who we are. We forget about the Lord. We lose ourselves in the pleasures of the moment. It must break God's heart. There was a guy called Ray Boltz, and he wrote a song called Feel the Nails. And if we have the technology working, I'd like us to spend a few moments listening to this song called Feel the Nails. And just listen to the words. They're really profound. I'm sorry that didn't come through as good as I hoped, but the verse 2 says, Seems I'm so good at breaking promises, and I treat his precious grace so carelessly. But each time he forgives, what if he relives the agony he felt on that tree? Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can I hear the crowd cry, crucify him again? Gets me that. God help us to consider what our sins do to him the pain that he feels because of us, his children. You see, this thing, it's, it's not about us at all. It's all about him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We don't need to pursue the other path. He wants to give us everything that he can to bless us. Sin is about you. Righteousness is about him. Let's move on a little bit. I want to look at the, the cleansing. And verse, verse 13 of, of our reading today. Let me read it for you. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. What's happening here is that David has confessed his sin. David hears the charges and suddenly his mind becomes clear again. It's like the, 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 the stranglehold Satan had on his brain has finally broken away. And for the first time in months, he can see the situation as it is. He makes a full and honest confession. And this sin is cleansed now. As soon as David confesses, he's told that his sins have been forgiven. He'll not be to put to death just as the law demands. Instead of justice, David receives mercy. He receives grace. He'll be forgiven. He's been pardoned. The time of alienation from God over he's restored and here's what David says when he's dealt with his sin in Psalm 32 I've got to go back there again it's a beautiful psalm blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit you see now all of a sudden he's back in the blessing of God again he feels that again in his life brothers and sisters this is how God always operates when sin is confessed openly and honestly, it is forgiven by the Lord. David is told that, his, that God has taken away his sin. God took David's sin. He takes them away from him. 
And as far as David and God are concerned, this is now dealt with forever. It's finished. It's over. That's the blessing. That's what happens when we come to God for forgiveness. When we deal with our sins in an open and honest confession, God forgives them and He removes that sin from our lives. That's how we should handle sin too. We need to come to God. We need to confess. We need to receive our forgiveness. And we will be restored as a result. However, now it gets to a sad story again. I'm sorry. The consequences here of David's sin. The fact that sin is forgiven and cleansed away does not mean that there's not going to be some fallout as a result of that sin. And the next few verses teach us about the truth that David paid dearly for his sins. There were permanent consequences. Because David had seen to it that Uriah was to be killed with violence, violence would never depart from David's family. That's a tragic price that David now pays for his sin. Later on, he's going to lose three of his own sons in a violent manner. Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, all killed. The sin that David committed affected him and his family for years to come. He was forgiven, but there's a course of action that's been put into place that cannot be stopped. David's going to see his wives treated with the same contempt that he's shown for Bathsheba. His own son, Absalom, would go to his father's wives in public view. What David did in secret was now going to be done to his wives in public. And as we see later, the, the sin of David so paralyzed David that when he came to dealing with his own children, he wasn't able to even be an effective father. The knowledge of his own sins caused him to do nothing about the sins of his sons. We'll explore that a bit more thoroughly later on. But in the final analysis, David paid an incredibly high price for one night of sin. Of course, what God says, you know, a man reaps what he sows. David was forgiven, but he was going to reap what he'd sown. The sin may be forgiven, but the events that are started into motion have to play themselves out. See, the thing we need to understand here is that we do not sin in a vacuum. You might think that it affects no one but you. And you're absolutely wrong about that. When you sin, your sin ripples out and it touches people around you. Your sin touches your family. Your sin touches your church. Your sin touches your work, your school, your community, whatever it is. God will forgive the sin when it's repented of and confessed. But what started into motion will play itself out in your life and in the lives of people who are touched by your life. And I think that's a very sobering thought. So before you take that final step and go off into sin, think about how it's going to affect those around about you. What will your family think? What will your church think? What will be the outcome? What will be the damage to the cause of Jesus? Stop and think about that. That'll stop you going off into sin. And there were public consequences too. They weren't just permanent consequences, they were public ones. When David, what David's done in secret, the Lord's now going to do in open. Everyone's going to know what David's done. He's going to pay the price in the full view of the world. And that's one of the great tragedies of sin in our lives. It has the power to expose us to everyone round about us. It might be hidden for a while, but eventually the truth will come out. Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. You can try and protect yourself, but eventually it will come out. If not in this life, that last day. Unless you've dealt with it by a confession beforehand. 
So there were public consequences, and there were also incredibly painful consequences. As a part of David's punishment, God allows the baby born of David's adulterous affair to become sick and to die. Can you imagine David now having to go home after talking with Nathan the prophet and saying to Bathsheba, I'm sorry, darling, this child of ours is going to die. Can you imagine giving that news to your wife? And then you have to watch that child die? Now David prayed, he prayed earnestly for the life of that child. But the child died just as God said he would. David paid an incredibly high price for his sin. We might sow our wild oats and pray for crop failure. But I tell you what, I cannot stress strongly enough, we always reap what we sow. There's a high price to be paid for sin. Are you willing to pay it? Forget about you paying it. Your family's going to pay a penalty. Your community's going to pay a penalty. God help us to see how horrible sin is. And there were profound consequences too. Because of all the horrible things that came out of, of David and Bathsheba's sin, the worst fact is here that the name of the Lord is dishonored amongst the unbelievers that are watching. If God allowed David to get away with his sin, those who knew about this would say, ah, this God doesn't care about sin. Let's do whatever we want. Well, that's not true. God does care. People would now be committing blasphemy. In fact, David's sin boils down to a personal rejection of God, his law and his way. David is guilty of blasphemy on a personal level and God wouldn't stand for that and David would be judged. Let's put it back into our circumstances here. One of the worst outcomes when a believer sins is it gives ammunition to the unbelievers. And let's face it, all the stuff that's going on of late in courts and all this sort of thing that's going on about the church, the unbelievers love it. Say, so see that bunch of pedophiles? We're all tarnished because of that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because when we are sinning, we are glorifying self. And that's blasphemy. That's treason. That opens the door for the judgment of God. Our lives are to draw men to Jesus. That's the point of us being Christians. We're not to push them further away. We are guilty of low living that hinders the cause of Christ, brings dishonor to the name of the Lord, and we can expect nothing but chastisement if we sin against God. Let me finish with a story. Once there was a little boy who had a bad habit of lying. Little boys don't do that much, do they? He couldn't stop telling lies. And fed up with this, his father says to him, I have to teach you that you are not to lie. Every time you lie, I'm going to tell you to take a nail to the post in the backyard and drive that nail into the post. It wasn't long before the post was full of nails. The little boy's heart was touched. And he says, Daddy, I see what you're talking about. I'm sorry that I've been lying. What can I do? Father says, Son, ask God to forgive you of your lies and start telling the truth. Every time you tell the truth, I'll pull a nail out. The little boy starts telling the truth. The nails start coming out of the post. It wasn't long till all the nails were out. The father comes down and he sees the little boy sitting down beside the post, crying. Father says to his son, Son, don't be crying. It's so wonderful. All the nails are out of the post. But the son says, I know, Daddy. But the scars, the nail prints are still there. That's what sin does. Sin can be forgiven. 
Sin can be dealt with. You can be restored to your relationship with God, but the scars are still there. The effects of a sin in our lives will be worked out in the course of our lives. We need to know that when we sin, we are starting a process that may continue for years and touch many people before it ends. Is that a chance you really want to take? There may be a time when you hear God say to you, you are the one. I don't want to hear those words. I don't know if you do. Maybe that day is today where you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to you saying, you are the one. I want you to come to me. I want you to come and deal with that right now. So brothers and sisters, I urge you to come before God. If you feel the Spirit's prodding, if your conscience is burning, come to God right now. Confess to Him whatever it is that you need to confess and receive your forgiveness. Be restored into your relationship with God. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, you're in the greatest trouble of all. Today is a great day to come to Him and trust Him and be saved by Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you with open hearts, honest hearts, broken hearts. We recognize our own humanity, our fleshly nature. We sin so easy in our thoughts, our words and our deeds. But Father, we want to confess that before you now, our humanity. To ask for your forgiveness, we've fallen short of the glory of God and you are righteous and just. So Father, we come before you now confessing our problems, our difficulties, our pain, asking for your touch, a sense of your forgiveness, enable us to walk forward as new people, restored in our fellowship with you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.